the biggest deal for us is the small group. We don't think information disciples people, but people disciple people. And so we want y'all to engage as a small group. We obviously assign the tables. You may or may not know the people at your table, but just jump in. Uh, we've got six weeks, and we want y'all to begin to engage from the beginning. Some of you are talkers, which is wonderful, but you might need to throttle back a little bit in your group. There are no table leaders, and so we're asking y'all to kind of just, y'all know what good group dynamics are, and that's what we want. We want everybody to share. If you tend to be someone who talks a lot, maybe you can just have a personal rule that you're not going to say two things until everybody says one thing. Um, if you're a hider, if that's more your bent, then you're going to have to force yourself to engage. It's not right for you just to sit back and kind of watch everybody else engage. So do both of those things. If you tend to be a talker, police yourself. If you tend to be a hider, make yourself talk. It's better for everybody um, in terms of the group dynamics. And also just another thing, in terms of advice, I would say not unless it's asked for. Y'all listen to each other, share those type of things, but don't feel like you're getting into a situation where you're trying to give people life direction unless they're asking for it. Sometimes that can turn people off as well. So y'all know all those things. So just do a good job in your group. If y'all have any issues, Brandon will come around and give you a noogie. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, I'm not going to, when we, we're going to share a little bit from the front. We do want y'all have maximum time in your small groups. I'm just going to throw out some thoughts. I'm not going to fully explain them, and I'll just give you all some stuff to chew on. You don't have to agree with me. It's just discussion topics, and then we'll have some questions y'all can work through. If you don't like the questions, if it, the conversation goes in another direction, then by all means, take that. These are just things in case you get stuck um, to kind of keep the conversation going, but y'all don't need to feel like you need to work through all of these questions at all. And again, I'm not going to fully explain any of this stuff. I'm just going to introduce some concepts, and I want y'all to kind of take it from there. So the goal for us, here's a picture. This is the goal that we're looking for. So I don't know if y'all can see there's a glare. So it's a little kid, and he's following in these footsteps. What we're looking for out of this course is for all of us to, to, to grow in what it means to follow Jesus through every aspect of our life. We've said before, that's, that's the invitation he gave to the, his first uh, disciples, and it's still the invitation now. Come and follow me. And we want to figure out what that looks like in a very concrete way in the lives that we live. It's, in one sense, we're kind of at a disadvantage. The disciples literally walked behind this physical Jesus. It was easy to follow him. For us, it's much more like this. We, we can't see him Physically, we're led by the Holy Spirit. We've got these footprints that are in front of us, and we've got to try to figure out where they are and how to walk in, uh, after those things in all of these different roles that we have. All of you play easily, 10, many of you more than that. You wear that, that number of hats over the course of a week easily. And how am I supposed to follow Jesus wearing each one of those hats? That's what he's looking for from us. So just a couple of things that will maybe help you fill that picture in. If we want to follow him through life, there's a couple things we need to know. One is who he is, and he's a king, and you know that, and that's something that we say regularly. Jesus is a king, but we don't have a concept of a king because we don't live under a monarchy. We actually broke away from that and created a government that was limited because we didn't like the uh, pervasiveness of a monarchy, but a king has absolute rule. That's what it means to live in a kingdom. There's a king, and he governs everything within this realm. So Jesus is a king, and he has a kingdom 
We live in that kingdom under his rule and reign, and his rule is total, it's absolute. When he says he's the Lord of all, it's not just all people, it's all things. So in every aspect of our life, he's looking for us to follow him. The disciples didn't just do that on Sundays or 40 hours a week, and they punched the clock, and they were off, and they got to do what they wanted. Every day for these three years that Jesus was with them, he, they followed after him when it came to eating and walking and ministry and conversations with each other. Every role that they played, they did that as, again, disciples, people who were following him. And that's kind of where we want to get to as well. But there are a couple of categories that I think we fall into, a couple of ditches that we tend to be drawn into. One is this segmented life, and that can look two different ways. Um, one, kind of the trivial pursuit wheel where you've got these different aspects of your life. It might not be six equal sections. You might have two sections of your life, but there's some you're compartmentalizing. That on the right, that's kind of the Christian version of compartmentalization. That's actually the wrong picture. I got rid of that one. I upgraded. So why don't you get rid of that one? So yeah, there we go. Um, so we've got this uh, trivial pursuit thing. So this idea of having a segmented life, and I can speak to this because it was me. So I grew up in a great house, great home. We just didn't talk about anything important. We, we just didn't. And so we especially didn't talk about any type of spiritual or religious subjects. My parents took me to church every Sunday. I was in Sunday school, Bible school. I did all of those things. We just never talked about any of it. You know, I said a prayer at night, and we said the blessing when we ate at home, not in restaurants. You know, but we did that. And when I became a Christian at 12, it's because my parents made me go to this camp that I didn't want to, and I became a Christian at that camp, and I just didn't say anything because you don't talk about it. And so I had this very, my life was, it wasn't divided into six, it was divided into two. I had this private devotional life, which was good. I read a chapter of the Bible every day, and I prayed, and, you know, I didn't do any of the big, bad sins. And then I had this public life, which I was a good kid all the way around, but I never talked about Jesus. I didn't, my relationship with God didn't impact my public life. And I, it's hard, I think, to admit living a segmented life because it makes us sound like we're hypocrites. And honestly, we are, but it's not with bad motives, I don't think. It's not out of this sense of trying to deceive or being wicked. For me, it was just I grew up where you didn't talk about your faith. And so, again, I had there was just this wall between public me and private me, and I wasn't a hypocrite in terms of saying I did one thing at church and another thing when I was with my friends. It wasn't that at all. I just had this private devotional life because I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. And, I, and in my public life, I didn't do any of the real bad stuff, but nobody knew I didn't do any of the real bad stuff because you don't talk about that kind of thing. So I think for some of us, you live a segmented life as well, and it could be for you for me, it's just kind of the way I was raised. For you, it could be stereotype, Robert Metters. So he works in a public school. And it could be for someone who works in a public school, well, I've had to segment off this 50 hours a week. I'm not saying Robert does this at all. I'm just, it's an easy stereotype. I've got to segment off this 50 hours that I'm in school a week because I can't say anything about my faith or I can't say anything about being a Christian. And um, there's some truth behind that, but what that can do over time is, that, again, it creates kind of work me and then the rest of me. Or for some of you, you may, have, you may became a Christian later in life, and you have some friends from 
junior high or high school or college, and they, for whatever reason, kind of didn't get the memo. And so you've got old friend you and then everybody else you. And that's, again, that's segmenting off. There's some section of your life. Again, I'm not saying that you're being deliberately deceitful, but there's some section of your life where that's not open to Jesus. So in that exercise y'all just did, you're wearing different hats. If your life is segmented, it's not so much wearing hats as it is wearing a mask. And there's certain places where you have a different mask on versus just having on a different hat. If this is you, one of the things you can kind of look at as a symptom is there's going to be some area of your life that lacks passion. It could be work. It could be you know, with some certain group of things. There's just a lack of passion in that area, and it's because you've closed that area off to the Holy Spirit, who's the source of that passion. And the issue is not your life. It's not saying, well, I've got to stop doing this. It's not that. The issue, honestly, it's, it's me. The issue was, was me. And I had to come to a place of saying, oh, it wasn't until I got to college. I remember I was in college and I was active in a campus ministry, and the campus ministry had official prayer times, and I never missed one. Six o'clock in the morning, it didn't matter. I was there. But there was this other group of people, and they prayed at their house, and I was like, that's not sanctioned. Who, why are you praying now? We have six o'clock here. This is when we pray. We don't, who does that? Who asks people over to pray? I didn't, it didn't work for me. And that's when I started realizing that I'd had this kind of wall built. And you can think for a job like mine how dangerous that could be. Well, I've got, this is what I do for a living. And then I have my, when I am off the clock, and I do something else. So that, for me, is a constant thing that I have to fight with, is not segmenting off my life and having this section that's not professional Christian or whatever. So anyway, you get that. If that's you, you know it. The other one, let's see what that next one is. What's that next picture? Oh, yeah. So this is the more Christian version. This is the more Christian version of having a segmented life. And you may have heard this before. You know, it's this idea of, well, I'm going to put Jesus first. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom. I'm going to put Jesus first. And we have this idea that if Jesus is first, then all these other things come underneath that still can result in living this segmented life because normally what this looks like, it means I give Jesus the first 20 minutes of my day or maybe in my mind I write a check. He gets the first 10% or 5% of my um, offering, my money that I make. Maybe the first day of the week, Sunday is devoted. And somehow... We kind of, uh, we decide what it means to put him first. But then once I've done that, I can check him off and I can go do these other things that need to be done without a whole lot of thought about how Jesus impacts these other areas of my life. And this is actually very common in the church to think this way. You know, when we talk about priorities, it's very, very kind of a, a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, God is number one, and then, what is it, faith, family, work. I mean, that's, you've heard that a lot. The, the issue with that is that can begin to segment God from family and work and whatever else you have because you kind of do him first, isolated from everything else. Well, I've already spent my time, I've already prayed, I've already read the Bible, I've already given, I've already done my, I can check that box, I've done my God stuff, now it's time for me to go do my work stuff or friend stuff or volunteer stuff or whatever it else is that you do. So that's, that's a subset of this segmented life, but it's common in the church. Let's see the next one. So this is the next one. So this is, if one person is a segmenter, 
The other is a juggler. It's interesting. When I typed in juggling for pictures, all of the pictures were male. When I typed in juggling life, every picture was a woman. So I'm not sure if that's a stereotype or if it's accurate that this is an area where women wrestle more than men. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. So juggling in our culture, it's a badge of honor. It's, it, that's something, kind of this picture of running around with your, like a chicken with your head cut off, having a lot of balls in there, all of that. That's just kind of part of the world that we in Marietta live in. And again, it's kind of seen as a badge of honor. You almost feel guilty if you don't do something. If, you're, if you say no, if you take a rest, if your calendar's not full, it means you're not popular or it means people don't think you're worthy to be asked to volunteer and lead something or whatever. Again, it's kind of seen as a negative. So this to me, if segmented life, you lack passion, the jugglers lack purpose. They're doing a lot, but if you were to step back and say, what have you actually accomplished? If you kind of get a blank look, I'm not sure what I'm accomplishing. And then if you say, what do you feel like you're accomplishing that's eternal, that has kingdom value? A lot of times there's nothing Maybe something with the kids or something like that. But there, there's, just, there's not this uh, connection between what Jesus' priorities and what your daytimer looks like. If you're a juggler, you know it. You're always busy. You're running around. You do a lot. You don't accomplish much. You might feel like you're not doing anything really well. You're just kind of, you're just kind of showing up and doing what's next. But there's not this sense of really saying, you know what, I, I'm, I'm proud of that. Whatever it is, I'm proud of that. That got my best. And again, if, if I were to ask you, what, what are you doing that has any type of kingdom impact? Probably wouldn't know how to answer that question. You're really busy, but you're not sure that any of it is actually leading to anything that's significant. If this is you, if, if you're segmented, what you need to do is open up that area of your life to Jesus. Pretty simple. If this is you, Kind of the, uh, the Oprah solution is simplify. If you just simplify, you start saying no. That's great. That'll give you more time. That doesn't give you more purpose. This, if, if this is you, what you need to do is just, you've got to realign all this stuff and line it up with Jesus. I'm not saying you've got to cut anything. People have different thresholds, and some people like to live in the red line, and some people's red line is at a different place than others. I don't care. If you're fine with whatever your pace of life is, that's that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. It's, it's not pace of life. It's not what do I cut, what do I not cut. It's how do I take this stuff that I'm doing and align it with, what, with Jesus' priorities for my life in this community. And that might mean you have to cut something. It might mean you have to add something. But the question is not, it's not a calendar question or a daytimer question. It's, a, it's an alignment or a focus question. To all of these things that I'm doing, where do they... What are they pointing towards? What are they moving towards? What am I helping other people move towards? So I'm going to ask you in a minute at your table to put yourself into one of those two buckets. Are you more of a segmented type person? Or are you more of a juggling type person? It doesn't mean that maybe you live in that every day. But like for me, I tend to fall into the segmented category more than the juggler for sure. And again, that's not a daily thing for me. But if I'm going to fall into a ditch, that's the ditch I'm going to fall into. And I'm going to ask you why. How come that's something you struggle with? For me, again, it was kind of this world that I was raised in. You just didn't, there were certain things you didn't talk about, not because they were forbidden. We just never talked about them. And so in my mind, Jesus was private, he, not just personal, 
but private. And then that tied in with the fact that I don't like confrontation. And for some reason, talking about Jesus felt confrontational. So my fear and my home life kind of created this mix of saying, all right, well, I got this over here, and this is just between me and Jesus. And I'm going to be a good kid over here, but he's not necessarily going to affect anything that I do. And I remember when I graduated and I went to college, most of my friends scattered. A few of us went to Georgia. Most of us scattered. And I remember when I was probably 20 or 21, I thought, you know, I, these, these were some of my best friends. Zero impact on them. Over the, I became a Christian when I was 12. I had six years with these guys. And I, there was no impact from me on them because I had segmented off this portion of my life. That's not a guilt thing. It was just a realization of, eek, that's, that's not good. And that's what kind of pushed me to say there's got to be in some way of integrating both of these spheres of life. So I'm going to ask you that. Why are you how you are? If you're a juggler, it could be for you that you're a performer. That's hard to admit. But that's when you get affirmed or stroked or appreciated. It's when you're doing stuff. And so you do a bunch of stuff because everybody wants to be affirmed and stroked and appreciated. And what you found is you're good at stuff. It could be that you're a perform that you're this juggler just because you're competent in a lot of areas. People ask you to do stuff, and you say yes because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and say no. So you've got a lot of stuff going on. It could be guilt. It could be any number of reasons. I'm just going to ask you to kind of dig into that. Why are you how you are? Again, because it's not just about rearranging the furniture. You want to figure out in your heart what's the heart issue. And if you can pull that thing, if you can address that, at least shine a light on it, it will help you move forward. A couple of things for you to think about. Again, past experiences we hit. It could be your, your understanding of who Jesus is. Some people see him primarily as a savior. He's come to forgive me of my sins. You hear that in church all the time. And he did come to forgive you of your sins, but not just to forgive you of your sins. He came to forgive you of your sins so that you could follow him and so that I could follow him. Sin's the roadblock that keeps us from him, so he removes that roadblock so that we can follow after him. And some of us stop with the roadblock being removed, and he's gone. And we're just sitting back here at the starting line. That's not what he came to do solely. That's just, it's not, to me, it's almost not even step one. It's to get me out of the hole so then I can move forward with him. He's paying the debt that I owe, so now I'm free and clear to go after him and do the things that he's called me to. So for some of us, we just have a misconception of who Jesus is. We see him as a savior, and the whole idea of him being a king, well, that's extra. That's for missionaries or other kinds of people, but I'm good because I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card. And that's not really what Jesus came to do. Some of us have a misconception about the kingdom of God. When you hear kingdom of God, some of you think heaven. And there's some truth to that, but, but that pushes everything Jesus wants to do out into the future and up into space. And that's not, it's not helpful. He came to establish his kingdom here on the earth now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there is a, a heavenly component, but the point is to somehow make that reality this reality. And we miss it when we think Jesus is primarily concerned with only with the future, only with the, with, or only with spiritual matters. You may have heard that before, you know, uh, that, the only, that Jesus only cares about um, souls. That's what matters. Souls being saved. He doesn't care about bodies. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about the environment. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about poverty. He doesn't care about any of that. He cares about souls. That's, that's the thing. And again, he does, absolutely. 
what we looked at last week. He died to give his life as a ransom for many. However, that's just the first step. He cares about this world that he's created. And some of us have a misunderstanding of Jesus' priorities. All these other things are extra. They're not extra. They're integral to his plan for our community. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. What does Jesus want Marietta to look like? Have you ever asked, God, what do you want to do here? Do you care about what goes on down here and over there and this way? And do you, What do you want all of these things to look like? What do you want our city, how do you want our city council to function? What do you want going on in our schools? And those types of questions. He cares about all that. That's part of his kingdom coming. And again, we, we can misunderstand what Jesus wants. Some of us, and again, it's people like my fault, make a decision, make a decision, make a decision, make a commitment, pray this prayer. Come forward, kneel, pray this prayer. And, and that can communicate all God is looking for kind of notches on his belt. I got another convert. And that's not. He's looking for people to follow him. And it's not a one-time decision. It's an everyday decision. And we're not going to get into once saved, always saved, and all that. That's If you're asking those questions and you've missed the point, that he's looking for people to follow, and you can't follow unless you're following. Y'all understand that. And sometimes there's, a mis- again, this misconception of what Jesus is really concerned about is just whether or not we're in or we're out. And that's not the case. He's concerned about what direction we're walking. Are we walking after him? Can we show those questions? So here are the discussion questions. Y'all have about 35 minutes to work through these. You don't have to, again, y'all don't have to work through every one of them. Just see where your discussion goes. And I would like, I want you to answer. The, the only one that I would say I'd like everybody to answer is number two. I want try to put yourself in one of those categories, and you can give all the disclaimers you want if it makes you feel better. But put, put your, give yourself a label. It'll help your group, and it'll help you as we move forward to kind of know what it's going to look like for you to move from having this fragmented or segmented or all these balls in the air life to really a focused, coherent life. So again, for someone like me, it looks like opening up this section of my life to Jesus. And for you, it might be something different. So let me pray for you guys, and then y'all take some time and discuss. God, thank you for these guys. Thank you for everyone who's here. And uh, you know, our, our prayer, my prayer, is for fruitfulness, that this would not be wasted time for anybody around the table. God, that you would move all of us forward. None of us follows perfectly in every area of life. And that's our desire is to follow you more closely as a, for me, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a boss, as a son, as a brother, as a neighbor, as a friend, all of these different roles that we have, God. We want to follow your son. You have us where you have us for a reason, and we want to grab onto that. So, God, I pray as these guys, some of them are meeting for the first time, and I'm asking them to dig pretty deep into their hearts. And my prayer is for grace for everyone here to share honestly where they are and how they got there. And, uh, there, again, there would just be grace for that around the tables. And, God, that you would use these conversations and these relationships to bring healing and wholeness to all of us and to encourage each of us on um, this road that you've got us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.